a deity. Okay, we're in First Corinthians chapter 11. And I forgot my outline, Bernie, so don't feel so bad. I've got it on the phone here. I've got the message, but the outline, just to look at it brief. <clears throat> Been looking at... Uh, this passage, last time we're looking at, when we're in Corinthians in chapter 11, we're looking at verses 1 to 16. This is the problem about Christian headship, attitudes and authority, authority on the head. Um, <clears throat> and there's several teachers there. Nature is one of them in verse 14. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if man have long hair, it is a shame to him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory for her hair is giving to her for a covering. But if, a man, if any man seemed to be contentious, we have no such custom. And all the other things that we considered, and we got through 16 verses in that last time. We won't do that. We'll put it down a few gears and go probably one verse tonight. In verse 17 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, it reads, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you. If you've got divisions, <coughs> there must be heresies, because they cause divisions. That they who are approved... <coughs> I think I left my voice there too. Hmm are approved may be made manifest among you when you come together therefore into one place this is not to eat the lord's supper for in eating everyone taketh before the the other his own supper the one is hungry and the other is drunk i mean we're talking about church and it's pretty bad isn't it when you read this what have ye not that houses to eat and drink in or despise ye the church of god and shame them that have not. What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Can you imagine when whoever was the reader of the letter that they got from Paul at Corinth, he stood up and said this? He probably almost, he would have read it before he got up there, but he was, should I skip this one? <laughs> because this is right to the heart and the point of the problem in the Corinthian church. Well, many of the, one of the many problems in the Corinthian church. So we've seen the problem of Christian headship in regards to the woman and the man, and the man is the head and Christ is the, has the head over him, the Father, and all is in order in the first portion. Now with the problem of carnal fellowship. It deals with feast, festivities, and fellowship, and how they work together and how they should be working together in a local church. And since the beginning of the church, to the time of this letter was written, believers used to meet to eat together. Let's pray before we look at some of the verses, although that's part of the introduction. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you, Lord, that we do have the Corinthian church to set a lot of problems straight in our own churches. Because what they did, we probably would do, and we have an answer for that in Scripture. Lord, bless the reading and understanding of these things to our Hearts tonight, for we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 2. 
the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 42. This is the beginning of the church, Pentecost, many people, thousands saved. And it said in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. There's four things mentioned that they did there. The fellowship part that we're, I'm, I'm putting, putting at this time, the fellowship part. They often had a meal every day together. And it wasn't long before they were all hunted out of Jerusalem because of the persecution that arose about Stephen being stoned and the things that happened there. And who, who was probably in charge of a lot of persecution in the early church? Paul, who wrote half the New Testament. A Saul, who later became Paul. And <clears throat> so he's caused, wreaking havoc, it says, in the church. So these feasts, these festivities, were was an opportunity for fellowship and sharing with those who had less in their lives. I say, I, other churches I can't say, for, speak for Baptist people, independent ones. There's uh, good times had when we have a feast or a festivity. They had it every day sometimes. They were meeting daily doing this. Imagine ladies getting food ready without electricity and gas and, and everything for a daily fellowship of um, feasting together and these meals were climaxed by observing the Lord's Supper if you go down to chapter 2 of Acts and verse 46 and they continued daily with one accord in the temple this was brand new Pentecost had just happened they'd all been indwelt by the Holy Spirit as he come on them fire and like a dove from heaven and this was they were on fire <laughs> they realised what had happened they had been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and breaking bread from house to house. So they had their feast and then they had the Lord's Supper afterward. We don't do it the way they do it. They had a meal together and they had the Lord's Supper. But as we read earlier, things were not right in the way things were happening in 1 Corinthians 11. Praising God, having favour with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. This is at Jerusalem. This was happening there. Daily, people were getting saved. <laughs> It sort of disappoints us today. I go, oh, we might see a few people saved in the year. But we would rejoice if it was a daily thing, wouldn't we? And that was happening. Thousands got saved. This was the starting of the church. It's just getting it going and firing it forward. And the Lord said it's going to have a good start and it's happening in Jerusalem. And what is the tendency that we have? And uh, this is not in the sermon, but what is the tendency we have to stick around with the Christians? So what did the Lord have to do to the church at Jerusalem to get them out there and go ye into all the world? Persecution. He had to spread them. He had to scatter them. It was hard. It was awful. Um, they lost their houses, lost their jobs, lost their family often. When you become a Christian, you're kicked out of Judaism. And they went everywhere preaching the gospel. That's how God got them out. <laughs> through persecution I pray that that doesn't we can get too comfortable at church in being ministered to and as one preacher said we become bloated and if you've ever been around a cow that's become bloated I remember chasing them around the paddock and sometimes having to stab them right in the triangle at the back here well on a personal I don't know where that is I haven't got a triangle <laughs> but and anyway because it killed them it just the gas from the clover built up doesn't it, brother Dunn? And, and, and it, it squashes them inside. 
and you have to release that. And so we can become bloated as Christians by being well fed on clover paddocks and the word of God, but it, we need to go out. There are people outside who need the Lord. Uh, it sort of speaks to us. The Lord had to deal with the church, early church. But they were feasting, they were fellowshipping, they were having festivi festivity time, and uh, it was a, a great time to have. Now in the Corinthian church, which is a Gentile church, they were doing the same. They heard this is a good thing. <laughs> it's a time of getting together. We should have that as Christians, um, using hospitality one toward another when we can and can afford to do that. It was an opportunity for fellowship and sharing with the less privileged. See, some had labouring jobs and they weren't getting as much money in the Corinthian church. Corinthians were a pretty rich place where they were and the, the trade that was happening there. But some just had fallen into that line in their life where they were poorer people. There are other people that were business people and they were doing quite well, thank you. And so to get the background of this, what Paul's talking about, what did the rich people bring to the festivity before they had to fellowship the Lord's table? What do you think they brought? Did you say caviar? <laughs> Turkeys? <laughs> Wine? It's, it, some were drunk. And many good things that, you know, they'd enjoyed the, the lavishness of life. But the poor people were probably bringing barley bread without butter. And the trouble is, well, what should have they been doing, the rich people and the poor people? Putting it together. Putting it on the spread. What do we, to share, we say, the table. Bring a plate to share. And you put the table out and people can choose from what and where they want to eat. But they weren't doing that. They weren't putting it on a table to share. What were they doing? They were getting in their little cliques. They were getting together the rich, the rich people with the rich people's corner, you know, the poor people in the poor people's corner. And the poor people were going hungry and not eating oh, that turkey, <laughs> that lamb. <laughs> they could smell it, but they couldn't eat it because the richer people weren't sharing it. See what, now you can see and you read this and you understand it a bit better. The Lord says, don't do that. Let's be willing to share. It tells us very specifically in 1 Timothy chapter 6, they that are rich, it says, be rich in good works, willing to share, willing to distribute, in, in the sense of having fellowship. <clears throat> so an opportunity for fellowship and sharing, the privilege of doing that and meeting others' needs. These meals were climaxed by observing the Lord's Supper and it was called the love feast or the agape feast, you know, sacrificial love, but they weren't doing that in Corinth. It wasn't sacrificial for the rich people. It was showing love for the saints by sharing with one another. Now Paul's disapproving declaration we find there in the first verse, as I said, we'd covered the first verse. He said in verse 17, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. This is a letter from spiritual father. He said to the Corinthians, I don't praise you. You're not worthy of praise that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. That's what we're going to concentrate on. Where do you hear these words? For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. <laughs> we hear them at a 
wedding. A wedding. We're hearing them at a wedding. And pastors use that as they go through the vows and the sermon associated with that, for better or for worse. So if you want to title the sermon this evening, it's for better or for worse. What are you meeting for? Why do you come to church? Okay, we're going to look at a few of those things in the scripture. And that's right. We should come to church for the better. But they were coming to church for the worse. They were showing their true old nature character. They weren't showing their Christian character at all, especially the rich people. They were showing it for the worse. What things are for the better things that the church should do? Well, let's look at a few of these. This is why we come to church. First John chapter 1 and verse 3. And John is also correcting in the area he introduces us to here. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, verse 3 of chapter 1, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with, with his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, these things, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. What is a good reason for coming to church? And how does that joy become full? By the thing that happened just before it? Fellowship. Fellowship. It uses the word twice in that verse. Ye all may say, have fellowship with us, Christian with Christian, and fellowship with the Father. And when you have fellowship with one another, your joy is complete. Your joy is fulfilled. And so have fellowship one with another. That's what Paul is trying to encourage them to do. Have Christian fellowship, agape fellowship. In verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. That's what they were doing. They were lying to themselves in that they said, oh, we're having a great agape feast, a festivity leading into the Lord's table. And they weren't at all. It was only for the rich people. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So we can have fellowship one with another, true Christian fellowship. That's a good reason. That's for the better. Come to church to have fellowship. Uh, <clears throat> in the top of my Bible, I say, see the note there. At the top of the Bible in 1 John, it says the possibility of fellowship, verse 3, the privilege of fellowship, verse 3, the profession of fellowship in verse 6, and the practice of fellowship in verse 7. Fellowship. Let's go to the Old Testament now in Psalm 29. Psalm 29 and verse 2, it says... Give unto the Lord the glory that due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. You might pick two there, two reasons for coming to church. Give unto Lord, the Lord the glory due to his name. Let's praise him for what he has done. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming our souls. Thank you, Lord, for your word that we can hear today and share in. <clears throat> due to his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. You see, worship has been corrupted these days. It's not the worship of the Lord Jesus. It's not singing songs about him. Often it's singing love songs about human activity in so-called churches today. It's, and they have a worship leader because their worship is the songs. Well, what they call Christian songs. So you see, 
We are to worship the Lord when we come and thank him. Let's prepare our hearts before we get to church that we might worship the Lord in spirit and in truth as we meet together. So that's for the better. Maybe we should have done the better ones first. <laughs> but in the order of 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, it's the better and the worse. For better, worse. In a marriage, you can, you can take this into marriage and the, the things that happen within a marriage. For better, in a marriage, there's a lot of blessings in a marriage. You know, children and fellowship and companionship and all the things that go. But there are some things that can be for the worse. And 50% of the people that get married get divorced. I don't know if it's gone up or down, but it seems to be pretty consistent. And that's for the worse. That's, that's detrimental to them for the rest of their life in, in things that can happen from that. And so for the worse, for the better, for the worse. We're married to the Lord, for better, for worse. When we say, yes to the Lord, I believe on you, I trust that your blood cleanses me from sin, we go into a marriage relationship with him. For better, for worse. There are going to be some worse times come along, some troublesome times, some tribulation. You talk to Paul three times in that many verses. He said what happened to him. But it was all for the better in the long run. Even the bad times turned for the better times, for our own character and development. So for worship, and in chapter 96 of Psalms, and verse 4, 96 verse 4 reads this. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Uh, Elohim. <laughs> he is to be feared. Elohim is to be feared above Elohims. Hymns. Little G's. Little gods. And worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Psalm 100 and verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye land. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. It's a part of worship, isn't it? Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, not ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so, better fellowship. Let's have fellowship. And Revelation 14 verse 7 speaks of that too. Another one. Let's go to Timothy. This is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, we'll be going back here if we get to it. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Has that come? It's taken 2,000 years from the writing, but it come early. As we were looking this morning at the different councils the churches had early in the early church to sort out the doctrine of the, of the Trinity, the, the deity of the Lord Jesus, and the, and the truth that the Holy Spirit is also God in 381 AD. These things, sound doctrine was slipping, and it has slipped will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So what do we come to church to learn? Doctrine. What's doctrine? It's teaching. It's learning. You know, remember Colin Dash? I remember him teaching on army doctrine. Who was here then? I can clearly remember. Army, our army has a doctrine. And, and they've got it all laid out. It's their teachings. It's their training manuals. The church has doctrine, teaching, that we need to be sound in. If we go off on unsound doctrine, we're in trouble. 
uh, like fish out of water, if you could say. We're just not going to do and function as we ought. In Acts chapter 2, as I said, we'd be back there a few times. In chapter 2 and 42, the early church, in their enthusiasm and worship the Lord, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. It's important. Church is for teaching doctrine to Christians. You say, oh, church is for reaching out. No, Christians are for reaching out into the community. We go out to reach people. They're not going to come into church. Church is for helping Christians to grow, to learn and know the truth. And when preachers don't teach the doctrines of the word of God, the people are unfed. And if we're not taking the right vitamins, spiritually speaking, we're going to get sick. And so we need that teaching, don't we? We need to grow in the Lord. It's see, easy to see when you go through the word. They taught doctrine. We'll be back at that verse another time. But in Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 3, and verse 16 and 17, it reads, Let the word of God dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns. So in our singing, what should we be at the same time? Teaching. A repetitious chorus repeated over and over and over again with the same few words is not teaching and not admonishing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. Verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. When you sing the good old hymns, do you get teaching? Yes. Are there hymns in our hymn book that we use that aren't necessarily doctrinally correct? Yes, there's quite a few. You see, those hymns were written back when they didn't get a whole grasp on prophecy and things about Israel and the church and the differences. <clears throat> and they, they just penned it down in the, the hour that they wrote it. Others... And Bernie's been, sharing, Bernie's been sharing the experiences of people and why a lot of hymns were written and a lot of tragedies, wasn't there? A lot of tragedies caused hymns. Now, they're from the heart, those hymns from the heart. But we're to do this, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and <coughs> spiritual songs. <coughs> okay, let's go to another one. So, for the better... Worship, fellowship, doctrine, teaching. And then chapter 14. And this is one I thought of straight away when I was preparing this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It goes along with the teaching <clears throat> and the doctrine. And this is what the Corinthians were not doing. And Paul is t encouraging them to do it. And it's in 1 Corinthians 12. And if you know... This is speaking about gifts and abilities that God gives a church, like Romans 12 is, 1 Corinthians 12 is. And in verse 6 of 12, it says, And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God who worketh all in all. <clears throat> but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit. And one person is by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit. And you could read on there about those things. But back up in verse Three. First Corinthians, uh, I mean, <laughs> chapter 14. Did I say chapter 12? Yes. yes. Well, <laughs> the gifts 
is what I was referring to, are given for the edification of the church, not, the for, ed not for the glorification of self, not for the edification of self. And the gifts of chapter 12 in chapter 14 is dealing again in verse 3 and 5, but he that prophesies speaketh unto men, and that was one of the gifts of the early church. You see, they didn't have the Bible as we have the Bible. They were getting letters from the apostle and others that God inspired to write, and they were reading these in the church. And so they did have the gift of prophecy of the truth of God's word and teaching of it that we have in our Bible today. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. There's a reason for preaching and teaching. Three of them are given just in the end of that verse. Exhortation, edification and comfort. Remember that Paul back in chapter 12 said, if somebody who is not a Christian happens to come to church and they see you as they were in Corinth and they had the real gift of speaking in real tongues, real languages, not a gibberish, a language that other people could understand from other countries. They had that gift then. It was the early church, remember. It was a proof that tongues was proof that God was in this. It's proving to the people that God is blessing this. It didn't have to continue when the word of God was complete. But if an unsaved person come into church and and over here and over here and I've got to the age now when you hear a language ah that's Filipino ah that's Hebrew ah that's um, Arabic or you, you can you just hear the pick up the tone you just know but if a person comes to church and they hold it's like turkeys wobbling in the you know gobbling or whatever they do and the unsafe person these people are crazy these people are not doing anything. These people are going nowhere. <laughs> there's no growth. There's no edification. There's no exhortation. Why were they doing it? Because it made them look important. I can speak in a language I never learnt. It's a gift of God and I can just say it. And Paul said and laid down some order. If you're going to speak in tongues in the church, what are you to do? One person get up and speak and another person interpret it so that people can understand what God is saying from the exhortation of the prophecy given to them it's logic isn't it it's just plain common sense when you read the Bible in that way but come to church you should be edified you should be exhorted your toes should be stood on your heart should be encouraged <laughs> and mostly um, evangelists tread on your toes and stir you up a pastor will teach like Timothy he taught the scriptures he was a quiet man but he was different to others everybody's different God gives them different he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 14 <clears throat> edifieth himself so he must have understood what he was saying otherwise he couldn't have edified himself anyway but he that prophesieth Edifies the church. He that teaches the truth that he's been given builds up the whole church, not just himself. And Christianity is about serving others, isn't it? About edifying others, about building others, is about agape love, about sacrificial love. That's what should be. And verse 5, I would that ye all spoke with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied, for greater is he that prophesieth, the boring old teacher. <laughs> That's what's been said here, not going off in another tongue. 
than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interprets. So there's an exception. If the person speaks in tongues and the, and the interpretation is given, then it may re be received, or the people may receive edifying in verse 5. And the same word, similar word in, the, in these, this passage here is understood. In verse 9, so likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood. After the message, the last message at camp, at, um, I was going to say Crystal Creek at Yak, Mac Creek Camp, the last message to the young people was a challenge, as I said this morning, to keep going. If you're out in the sun and get a tan, keep remaining in the sun if you want to keep your tan. If you want to be a Christian who is tanned by the Lord and have put on the Lord Jesus, stay in his presence. Um, you've got to stay in the word and be edified by the word. And he put it, I said to him afterward, I said, oh, that was good, Brother Alan, you, Pastor Alan, you preached so that the kids understood what you were saying. What's the use of going right over their heads and missing their heart altogether? You come to church to be, to get understanding. You come to church to be edified. And you come to church to be exhorted. So these are all things, edification, exhortation, understanding, um, preaching. And you can go through that. Take your little colouring pencil and colour edify in, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Or understanding there, or exhortation. Put them all in the same colour. Because that's what church should be about. Not coming together to be entertained. That's the church of today and it's not good. And it's failing to teach the truth of God's, God's word. If you go to a church where they don't believe the doctrines of God's word, how are these people going to be built up? How are they going to contend for the faith as Jude said we should if they don't know the Bible they should be built up in their most holy faith and you should be able to go out and defend the truth of truths, truths of God's word and remember in an ordination service or an examination service before an ordination service of a pastor or a missionary <clears throat> the person being ordained has to study and study and study the scriptures to know where he stands on the word of God so that the pastors that come together to examine him from local churches should know where he stands on particular doctrines and to say, yep, I can fellowship with him, or no, I can't, he's off on his doctrines. And you should be able to give a reason, give an answer to every man that Peter says that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you. That's why that we have those. But how about you? How could you go? The key to what, when I was ordained, it was in that church around the corner, I don't know if it's used as a church anymore, when Pastor Goff was here and Pastor Barton was there and Murny Music was there and all those guys examining me. And Bert Kinsey was there. I didn't count him as my enemy, but he, he, was throwing, he was throwing curly questions in all the time. And he was trying to get something out of me. It was about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't know what he was asking. He must have been asking in a different way. And, and Pastor Barton, who was the moderator of the councils, said, look, you've asked enough questions, he's given enough answers to that already, let's go on <laughs> to the next doctrine. But can you give an answer? And the key to it when you're being examined like that is to have one particular Bible verse that deals easy, you know, centrally with that doctrine. Can you find one? If I said, defend the doctrine of the resurrection, 
Where would you go in the Bible? Okay, uh, this came up with Andrew in Israel. He said he wanted to put in the article we wrote recently to the leadership in Israel, the parliamentarians, the doctrine of the resurrection, didn't we, Andrew? He, he asked me that. I said, okay, I'll get one ready and put it. And I went through the doctrine of the resurrection. And if he, he texted back and said, no, not the re that resurrection, the Lord's resurrection. <laughs> so the, the gospel's for the Lord's resurrection, yes. But for the doctrine, the teaching of that, where would you go in the Bible? It's a whole chapter. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 deals with the resurrection. A fellowship. We've looked at one tonight on fellowship. Where would you go? 1 John chapter 1 deals with fellowship. What's going to happen in the future? Where would you go? Revelation. Revelation and 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. You, you just know these things. You, you should be taught in these things. If you love God, keep his commandments. And how can you keep his commandments if you don't know his commandments? Need to, doctrine's important. Teaching is important. Edification is important. We've only got through a few. <clears throat> hey, I haven't got a clock on. There it is on my phone, 6.58. Let's do one more. Um, <clears throat> Jude. Why do we come to church? Jude verse 20 and 21 there's only one chapter but ye beloved building up yourself in your most holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost keep yourself in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life now there's a few you could probably choose but building up yourself you should be built up when you come to church not with been all drummed up with music, <laughs> built up in truth and doctrine. They didn't have that sort of music back in those days. In fact, they didn't have that music when I was a kid. It wasn't around. It came in, you know, the Beatles and all those guys, whatever they were all called, and it was just noise to us. It was as bad as the bulldozer roaring. <laughs> just, mm. But then it's in the church. What's happened to the church? Shouldn't they be teaching? Shouldn't they be building up ourselves in our most holy faith? Praying in the Holy Spirit? These are things that we should do. And this morning, in conclusion, knowing the Trinity and knowing each one and their, what they've done for us, we need to be pray, praying in the Holy Spirit through the Son to the Father. Praying in the Holy Spirit, it says here. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Building up. <clears throat> Can I indulge in one more? It's not a long one. It's second, it's, uh, this is Corinthians again. And this one's in 2 Corinthians this time. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. And there's a whole series being done on this one subject that we've listened to in our evening service some years four years ago I believe and it reads in chapter 3 and verse 18 but we, we all with open face behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord the word of God is preached we see ourselves in relation to where we should be and where we aren't through the revelation of the word of God as it is preached and ministered and we're, we're defied 
the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. <clears throat> we come to church to be changed. We come to church to be changed. We don't come here because of tradition, because this is what we've always done. We come to church to be changed into the image, as it says there, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to church to be convicted about our sin, for the need of con confessing, as First John tells us to, and to get right with the Lord, and to get right with each other if it needs be in the situation. From glory to glory, so that when he comes or when we get old and die, <laughs> we're ready to go <laughs> because we're closer to the Lord than when we got saved. We're more sanctified. We have a better, we have the character, I'll say a better character, the character of Christ at the time we go. So, there are a few things for the better. We'll look at more, we'll look at worse things next time we meet. And then we'll look at some better things and conclude on a positive note in, in the sermon next time we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, just verse 7. So when you get married, for better, for worse. When you're married to the Lord, it's for better or worse, and we should be for the better. We come to church for the better. The Corinthians were not coming together for the better. They were coming together for the worse. They weren't showing Christian grace, mercy, or love toward one another. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it gives us some very clear teaching on what we should do when we come together and why we should come together. Lord, it's not to be gotten all excited and revved up with songs. It's to be hearing the word of God in song, yes, and in preaching and in teaching and in edification and in understanding. Lord, let us understand who you are and what you want of us. Let us be changed into your image as we walk our Christian life, more like the Lord now than when we first got saved or even at the start of the week. And bless us as we part and may we go on our way with the Ethiopian eunuch rejoicing that we found something of a gem to take with us tonight. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.